0: a nickel, right? All right. Well, should we begin? Well, hello everyone and hello. welcome to the podcast before the night at uh, no, the pod what the podcast before the morning after.
1: Podcast yes. before the morning after, episode
0: 1. Um episode 1, the one and only episode. This is a one-off. Um I, yeah, I'm here. I'm Sophie Evans. I am here with my good friend, Nate. Um, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Doing good, I'm in the basement. And
0: yeah, we are two current Princeton students, both of us on
1: gap years, which is exciting. We, uh, we could get expelled for representing ourselves as Princeton students. So gotta make absolutely sure the gap oh. year is present.
0: No. Okay, yeah, we're not, we're legally dead, according to Princeton. Um, and we have been brought together by the very important purpose of uh, reviewing uh, a newly published memoir. Are we calling it a memoir?
1: I believe that the author calls it a memoir, so we should probably follow suit. Yes, we uh, will be discussing the purpose of this podcast is to discuss. Uh, okay, here, This is my, my turn. The night before, the morning after. Yes, Uh, by Scott Newman Princeton class of 2021 so our former classmate now he outranks us um quick disclaimer I uh, do know Scott Uh, we met at some uh, CJL events that's Hillel for you non Princetonians hi Scott how you doing.
0: Uh, I hope he's not I mean maybe he is listening I have no idea I mean I hope he does eventually. um um, i i hope this is played at some like important life event of his like the birth of his child or something yeah that would make me really happy
1: first communion would he have had yes
0: um you, you do have your first communion when you're six years old but um i mean if you take communion for the first time at any point that is technically your first communion
1: yeah so like mr newman i know to be a proud jew so if he were to convert would he eventually have a first communion
0: yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's one of the sacraments. Um, so he would have to do it to, to get into heaven, I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, we'll try to keep waving them away from it because we, we have to be watching the numbers. Uh, we should start off by anyone, uh, many of those listening to this will already know that uh, Scott recently published his book uh, through a printing press called New Degree Press and uh, had it publicized in a, uh, an op-ed interviewing him in the New York Post entitled princeton grad says ivy league made him a social climbing weasel which uh, i think really says it all
0: it was very amusing because i think it was like very interesting to see like i've never seen an article about princeton like this at all um whether or not it's a real article we'll get into definitely caused a lot of traction
1: and my initial reaction when you know similar to you i had like friends Princeton and non emailing me like do you know this guy and you know I do although we I've always found Scott as he actually elucidates in his book a guy who is really great at saying hello at parties so even though we're not really good friends I like feel a warmth from him he finished it and it's it's 91 pages um 105 on Kindle which I believe is the only way to access it and uh I mean well there's a lot to dig into and that's why we're here today
0: yeah, both you and I read the full thing. We over, I think it took me a day and a half about of like two or three sessions of just like sitting down and trying to get it done. It is, yeah, it's, it's certainly the article and like the book link are, are making the rounds in all of the Princeton um, Facebook groups, like the meme
1: pages and stuff like that. The groupies, the WhatsApps. I believe it even made a uh, front page of the Ivy League meme consortium, which might be the worst named page on the entire internet.
0: Yeah, I don't know what a fucking
1: consortium is. i <laughs> close uh, cousin of the colloquium, which is oh. a, a lapdick, very- Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, this article came out and it was very serious. It was very sort of... It wanted to talk a lot about how qualified Newman was and how deeply disappointed he was by um, by Princeton and, and everyone who went there, and mostly, like, the corporate aspects, like how much everyone is into finance and stuff like that, which I don't think was the bulk of the book. Like, having read the book, would you say that, like, that was, like, not really most of it?
1: No, I would say, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, concentrated portions. Yeah. Uh, You know, there there's definitely like a good angry essay or two in there on that subject, but mostly it's about Newman's uh, wild adventures, uh, sexual and otherwise, often sexual. Um, But yeah, the the article does sort of allocate disproportionately. It sort of makes it seem like the entire thing is this anti-Princeton missive, which is in there, but it's not the focus. Like this quote here, but as a freshman, Newman was horrified by the unfriendly, uninspired, and corporatized culture on campus, where prestige-intoxicated students are groomed for soul-crushing careers in investment banking, consulting, and tech.
0: Would you describe yourself as um, prestige-intoxicated, Nate?
1: So the goal is to not get prestige intoxicated until I'm like regular boring intoxicated. Right. Um, enough. Enough of these Miller High Life's. I'll get delusions of grand. Great- <laughs> sort of like right. What are you drinking?
0: Um, I am drinking a Modelo. Oh. Um, because I bought a twelve pack of them uh, last week, which was a choice. Yeah, but this is, God, I just, I, ah, it was so interesting because like. I totally wasn't sure. And I didn't even get that he was publishing a book. Like, at first, I thought it was just, like, the point of the um, New York Post article was, like, to complain, which seemed really funny to me. Like, I was just like, oh, did this guy just call up the New York Post and be like, Princeton sucks, and then, like, got out of there?
1: I mean, you know, the Post, if, like, if you're going to, like, do that, I think the Post is the way to do it. Who would you cast as Scott in a biopic?
0: Oh, I was thinking um, Joseph Gordon Lovett, but, like, he would have to – Grow out his hair a lot.
1: Why was Um, Jason Schwartzman, and he'd have to grow out his hair a lot?
0: Yeah, Um, I could see either of those.
1: So regardless, I'm saying like 20 minutes in, we have our protagonist, you know, a good A and a half lister who dabbles equally in indies and blockbusters, and he says, "You know what? Fuck finance. We're gonna have one crazy night, boys." And they do have (laughs) one crazy night. That's the main bulk of the movie. But by the end, he has the girl. And he realizes he is going to do finance, but with a little bit of craziness to light his way.
0: Yeah, well, that is the night before the morning after.
1: Uh, Another quote that sticks out to me from the Post article, um, I just want to read wholesale over here is, I regret not taking sports seriously and getting the experience of really being part of a team. I regret skipping birthdays and plays, school dances and social events. And I regret keeping my nose so F-king hyphen hyphen clean ellipse. I regret keeping my nose so fucking clean it wasn't worth it. More than anything, I regret not getting into any trouble. So an interesting thing here is that quote is wholesale from the book, but it refers to Newman's high school days and the article it totally makes mm-hmm. sense in college. So mm-hmm. that is uh, his description of uh, his high school days. And it's interesting because he's simultaneously not to spoil the book too much, although this isn't the first chapter, he's his, Document of his high school days in the book, it'll confuse me a little because it's simultaneously this sort of thing like I stayed in all day studying. I was a shell. But he also is, you know, like fucking great dominatrixes of all time, you know, women of poetry, (laughs) uh, which I am jealous of uh, as a reader, uh, you know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
0: you think that's like sort of the main emotional takeaway from the book is that we're just supposed to be like really jealous that he's hooking up with these... A kind of busty Russian woman because it seems like the most like simultaneously like kind of an elevated way of writing and also like a very base way of writing you know you'd like to think that like great art you know kind of inspires people to feel like other feelings but it might just be like that that the most moving thing of all is just jealousy at another man plowing a busty Russian lady
1: right well there are a couple ways to think about that because the one is like we know, based on the many times that a chapter ends with a sentence like "the moral of the story is," right. that the author really wants us to like take away certain values about how to live life, wants to leave a sort of optimistic message about uh, personal freedom and you know the freedom to choose your own identity. And then there's a lot of this like, and then I fucked her and it was so cool and her tits were like glob <laughs> the night, Just
0: bouncing and- like crazy. Yeah, it's because it's, it's like, it, it goes back and forth between like totally like American psycho, like.
1: Yeah, he did say Alice was an inspiration.
0: But yeah, it, I feel like, um, but then it gets into this like heavily like sappy thing. Like if you want to go for something, you just have to fight for it. You just have to, you have to work hard. And like, what does he say? It's like, fight like hell, but know what you're fighting for. And it's yep. like, I'm sorry, is this like Hamilton? Is this the, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for?
1: yeah we both noted that chapter one ends with a sentence like i just want you to feel and burn like the bright beautiful candle you are which stands in such stark contrast to later chapters that end with missives like the thing i learned was fuck everyone fuck everyone but yourself (laughs) well this is sort of a thing throughout the book It's like i'm really interested by the author's general relationship with women uh you know he ends up saying things like um Generalizing, like, the most, there's a sentence somewhere in there that's like, the most successful girls are the ones who know exactly how to wrap a man around their finger to manipulate to etc. Like, (laughs) it's sort of like admiring, but also alternative in 2020.
0: He like, deeply claims to admire kind of like manipulation in its female form because he kind of sees himself as a male manipulator, you know, or he sees someone that, himself as someone that's very easy to like read people and, and go up to them. And so to kind of claim to be a feminist or claim to, you know, kind of exist in the modern world in a certain way, he claims to embrace the same qualities in women mostly just comes off as and the way you can tell this is because anytime he mentions that a woman is like powerful or seductive he's like but I'm not saying she used that to get ahead in her career Mm -hmm. and it's like if you really were like acknowledging that in any sense like you could say you know she was using it to get ahead in her career and you would be fine with it but you are trying to sort of portray this idealized female version of yourself but it just comes off as this like extreme like hatred and also just very two-dimensional like i don't think that any woman thinks of herself actively i've never gone up to some guy at a bar and been like i have him wrapped around my finger like who does that
1: (laughs) i wish it's very american psycho which you know apparently he likes so maybe it's intentional
0: Should we should we just go kind of point by you know start with the introduction? I feel like um,
1: yeah, this has been a long book
0: really unfolds in an interesting way because I felt like it got it 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 developed more like twists and turns. I think that the tone of the first three or four chapters were so much about sex and you know hooking up and uh, sort of living life on the wild side, and then it kind of made a hard turn into how much he wanted to get into Princeton and um, work towards that. And then at the end became a lot about traveling and sort of his fascination with his like fellow worldly, like specifically male travelers.
1: Yeah. And the men who it's important to note get absolutely loving portrayals Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) both the women who always have a caveat. Yeah, I mean, well, if we're gonna, uh, yeah, let's start making our way through the book. We can start reading right the fucking forward. I think, I think the author did a great job picking. A- Wait, Nate.
0: Okay, before, before. Okay, if, I know you already know what it is, but if you had to guess, like from what genre the forward would be for this kind of book, like what would you guess? Would it be exactly this, what it is, or would you would you guess something else?
1: <sighs> My first guess would be would be a quote of this kind from an R-rated movie as mm. to a PG-13 one mm-hmm. if I didn't know this exact quote, which would always and forever be my first guess for the foreword to this book.
0: I was just thinking in my head, I was like, what, I thought it could, like, I, in my head, I was like, oh, it could be a quote from, like, Taxi Driver. Um, it could be, you know, any sort of like neo-noir movie. And then I was also thinking that maybe it could be like something really pretentious and literary, like my own senior quote, which was the Vladimir Nabokov quote. Um, Don't cry. I'm sorry I lied so much, but that's just the way things are or something like that. Like so pretentious and awful. Like I really ugh, I, I, I really cringe that, that that I put that out there.
1: I'm actually surprised that Newman doesn't ever refer to Nabokov. I mean, he's got that. Hope. I know.
0: So wait, yeah. Would you like to reveal what the four, what the um...
1: epigraph, uh, unless that's the one on a tombstone, but.
0: I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably also going to be on his tombstone to be fair.
1: Yeah. The, the, the first, uh, the epigraph of the book is life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it, which is of course uh, the most famous line by the typical <laughs> character from Ferris Bueller's day off. And uh, was the central quote binding the four-minute speech I gave at the climax of my bar mitzvah ceremony in 2012? Yeah, I, that is... <laughs> this is... This is going to, just to go tiny bit more detail on this. This is going to get morbid, Sophie, but that's okay. The thesis of my speech was basically, my brother died a year ago, but I'm in a band. <laughs> and as far Mueller would say... And as Laura, <laughs> Refers to in Exodus, whatever, when Moses crosses the sea. <laughs> <laughs> you can laugh. If you're <laughs> once in a while, you could miss it. <laughs> my parents cried, so I mean, that's, that's all we
0: needed. Oh my god. That. Ugh, I would pay money. Is someone have this on video? I wish. Yeah, unfortunately, some of us had to settle for, um, you know, grainy photos.
1: And, um, photo album, me with my braces, and my <laughs> shirt that I gave all my friends that said, I jammed with Nate to his bar mitzvah with a picture of a bass because the royalty-free t-shirt company didn't have a guitar.
0: Very important question. Do you have one of those t-shirts still? And follow-up question, can I have it?
1: <laughs> I would love to give you one of the shirts. They probably exist in a storage unit somewhere. Okay. But if you want, I can, you know, stop the recording and. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so now it's five hours later. Me um, <laughs> okay. went to, um, I don't so know
1: where. It's in West Orange.
0: Okay, West Orange, New Jersey. You found a shirt. We're all good. But yeah, that quote, absolutely insane.
1: Yeah. I mean, just fantastic. Where do you. I don't mean this to be a loaded question. Um, okay. I'll put my cards on the table. It's. It is my favorite movie, and that's probably unshakable. Where do you stand on Ferris Bueller's Day Off these days? Okay,
0: interesting. I would say between the ages of, I never saw a John Hughes movie like growing up when I was like a very small child. So I was first introduced to by my much older cousins when I was like 15 or so. And then from then on, it kind of became my comfort movie because when I was in my teens, I went very quickly from um, sort of like, Parents being really overbearing and demanding to know everyone I hang, hung out with and calling their parents to make sure it was okay to very rapidly not giving a fuck. So I was just like going out all the time and partying and and you know having fun. So so I never had that sort of like wholesome like teen fun that you're supposed to have. So I think that made me like that like comforted me deeply.
1: I'd say that that wholesome teen fun never existed in real life. Like no, actually, never as it does in John Hughes movies.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think that, like, for a specific age, it's, like, just the right amount of darkness. I think that there is this sort of, like, overwhelming implication that, like, Cameron's dad is, like, beating him every day or something. And there are all these problems with, like, Ferris's family and their, you know, sibling rivalry and et cetera, et cetera. But, like, it's not really that present. Yeah, Um, And and I think that, actually, Newman probably got a lot of his sort of heavy moralizing from, you know, such media.
1: Yeah, well, because the dream that, like, Ferris presents, and I think Newman wants to be true, is that the person who knows what to do to have the most fun day can, at the end of the day, turn to the camera and say, and by the way, life philosophy is is as simple as this.
0: Philosophers are not often, like, very fun people, is the thing. So, like... They don't yeah.
1: have, like perfect lesbians, like Matthew That's,
0: Broderick. yeah, exactly. They don't look like perfect lesbians, like yeah. young Matthew Broderick.
1: Yeah, the reason I, like I said, it's my, I, it's definitely my number one favorite movie. And like, I've like thought a lot over the years. I first saw it when I was 11, which I think is like a normal age. And I've I've had like the wrestling with the fact that um, Ferris Bueller is a bad person, which like I um, was when I was 11. But I, uh, you know, I think it makes the movie richer because, you know, it's about, like, Cameron, like, realizing... It's not even, like, Cameron realizing that he doesn't need Ferris. It's, it's like, I think a very, like, real lesson. Of it's, like, characters like Ferris can be really fun and they aren't your life coach.
0: And, and Newman should love it because it's your sort of classic, like, Nick Gatsby, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, There's a... I recommend uh, YouTubing uh, John Hughes's director's commentary. Like, you'd be surprised... Especially because Hughes is like the ultimate—I mean, he's a genius—but he also is like the ultimate chiller for Reagan. And I think like really <laughs> believe like everything his character is represented. He, nonetheless, there's like a lot in uh, the, this commentary about how like it was totally like intentional that like the viewer like realized like Ferris is like iffy. Um, mm,
0: interesting, yeah. But yeah, and then I feel like I feel like the first sentence or like I, maybe it's like the prelude or whatever it starts with um, in in Newman's book. This is a true story, whatever the hell that means, is like very like Pharisee you yeah, know
1: Phariseian almost directly from Fargo which really? Uh, yeah, Fargo starts by saying, this is a true story, etc, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera, like boilerplate, but it's not true, which of course mm. um, <laughs> which of course, phone you know,
0: brothers, messing with your head again.
1: Exactly. fucking weird <laughs> those <dude>.
0: wacky brothers
1: <laughs> I idolize them so much and I if I saw them in public, I would cross to the other side of the street I like. Uh, they're so dark. And then he says, uh, it's a love letter to um, various types of personages. Of all the delectably fun foolishness, it's an ode to the carousel of women, booze, parties, actors, musicians, magic, madness, and wonder that have filled my uh, Newman's days. Uh, It's a toast to the douchebags, Sophie. It's a toast to the assholes. It's a toast to the scumbags, every one of them that Scott knows for the first few chapters. And then it sort of derails into Sort of minutiae of getting into college. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because like usually you'd see a foreword would say, like most forewords I've ever read start with a sentence like, "What can we say about David Foster Wallace?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the foreword says a lot of things about David Foster Wallace, and then at the end they're like, "I guess there really isn't anything to say so, about David
1: Foster Wallace." Three David Foster Wallaces.
0: Yeah, um, so it starts off right at the bat with um, a chapter about, and I did not, I probably should have, but I'm, um, you know, astonishingly lazy, and did not Google how to, how to pronounce, is it Antibes?
1: Oh the, oh, the city. Yeah. Should we undo it right now?
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe you can Google how to pronounce Antibes. For,
1: um, Antibes. Antibes. Antibes! <laughs> uh, it
0: probably isn't Antibes. Okay. But maybe. Oh,
1: oh, oh, Wikipedia has a listen button. Thank God. Antibes. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know how to do that. Antibes.
0: Okay. Um, so chapter two, Antibes. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it's in France is my whole comment. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Newman's journey in academia and sort of life and travel starts with him heading to Antibes to go to a French summer camp, um, which I also did. I went to a French summer camp when I was 15. It was nothing like what this sounds like,
1: but um, I can see the appeal. Did you learn forms?
0: We did not learn forms. I took a class with a philosophy professor named Raphael, who was, in hindsight, was definitely like 23 or 24. I thought he was like 30 at the time, but he was adorable, and I would just look at him from afar. He went to the Sorbonne. He was... I think a, a lecturer or like a graduate student there or something like that. And there was a big wall hanging up of all the um, professor's pictures. And on the very last night of the program, I stole his picture. Like from the wall, like I just took
1: it. That is a fun story. And it shows the difference between you and the author of The Night Before the Morning. <laughs> because Yeah, we-
0: should we get into what he did?
1: Uh, let's get into what he did with Valeria
0: yeah so it's uh so he goes for two summers um and the first time he says the moment he knew that it was really crazy was when he hooked up with his russian girl and then the russian girl wanted to be his girlfriend and he turned her down and so she had a quote-unquote like ukrainian goon punch him in the stomach and then the three of them like started drinking together uh, which was like the like wow, this is going to be uh, a crazy summer, you guys.
1: We're never going to forget this one.
0: <laughs> I know. It does sound like the first, uh, uh, like the line, like 10 minutes into any, any summer camp movie.
1: Yeah, he and, he and Valeria ended up uh, hooking up in a hotel, a hotel in, quote, a hotel in Midtown that I had booked using hotwire.com, which was just such a stunning sentence to encounter in the middle of what was a very erotic story.
0: Yeah, because I think that, like, the chapter was very much like, okay, like, whatever, like, you're having fun at this, you know, French summer camp, you go back the next summer, you're doing all these silly things, like, you are, you know, this person that grew up on the Upper East Side, you're clearly privileged, you clearly have a lot of money, and he kind of mentions, like, oh, I met this woman named Valeria on, on a flight and we talked and, you know, held hands and whatever. And it was, it was very crazy. And I was like, okay, well, maybe he's just like mentioning this because like it adds to the whole atmosphere. And then this third chapter, which is Valeria, is just like, it starts when I was 15, I fucked a 40 something year old Russian woman. I met on an airplane named Valeria.
1: And yes, it was all above board and consensual. And then he goes on to, uh, you know, describe it. The laugh turned into an orchestral moan that echoed through the night straight into the ears of Dr. T.J. Uh Before I keep reading the quote, it's important I say to the listeners that um, T.J. Eckelberg hadn't come up before.
0: No, uh, and also he's not a real person. Like, he is just the eyes on the billboard. Like, he does not have ears.
1: Uh, straight into the ears of Dr. T.J. Ekelberg. I can still hear the steady thump of her breasts as she lunged forwards, then receded. That rhythmic symphony that reminded me just how lucky I was to be with this beautiful woman.
0: I will say that I admittedly do not have very large breasts, but I don't think my breasts have ever thumped against anything. Maybe, like, if I was hit with a tennis ball, you could call that like a thump, but.
1: It's very like Austin Powers. Like, I imagine her, like, whipping out of. Is a bustier the right term for the apparel I'm thinking of? Yeah,
0: I'm thinking of the thing with the fembots where she's just kind of pivoting and, like, shooting him.
1: The breasts as weapons, sort of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hand grenades of sorts.
0: Yeah. Um, I would just like to point out what he had on when he met her, which was. Green J. Crew shorts, a Navy Henley, a fake Rolex, and his quote unquote signature jewelry, which was just a necklace and some rings and a, maybe like a bracelet, which is just like jewelry. Like sure. that's not anyone's signature jewelry. That's just what jewelry is.
1: Hey, I'll uh, prepare you my signature uh, McDonald's meal. It's uh, <laughs> <special laughs> just for me. Uh,
0: <laughs> and it's like a quarter pounder.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a quarter pounder. That's what The Travis Scott meal was like a cheeseburger with no toppings besides the cheese, uh, extra salted fries, and a Sprite. Like that's like a subpar order. On a similar note, one of my favorite things in this section was uh, here on page 18 in Chapter 3 of Valeria. He starts just talking about uh, foie gras. And it's it's, (laughs) that night I tried foie gras for the first time because one of the Russians was using her boyfriend's black card to fund the feast. Frankly, the foie gras was terrible. The point is he just like went on about how he like dislikes foie gras and finds it overrated for two paragraphs, which is the first inkling. The book is not thematically consistent. And second is 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 great. And I wish for more of it because it's like you're listening, Scott. This is a strength you have.
0: I mean, I also just disagree with him about his point about foie gras. Foie gras is delicious. Um, and he sounds like one of those rich people that's sort of going out of their way to be like, rich people have bad taste. And it's like, we all know rich people have bad taste, but they have bad taste about other things, not foie gras. Like those little light switches that are like dimmer and you see like, you see the lights go up and then they go down because they have the little, like they have the little strip of like dotted lights on the side. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. That's bad taste. That's rich people bad taste. But... Foie gras is not rich people bad taste.
1: That's tasty. I mean, the, that duck went through a lot.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, that's just torture at work. That's your tax dollars.
1: Like, that's like, if, say I'd never heard of foie gras, and I heard that, like, there was a meat that could only be eaten when the animal was, like, really, really tortured, I'm going to assume it's delicious, or it wouldn't have been developed. Yeah, of course.
0: Um, the moral of the story was, hello goes a long way.
1: Which... Later, he restates it as, like, uh, the best thing you can say to uh, start up a relationship is hello, which is kind of, it's kind of, like, yeah. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, like, of course. Like, in some way or another, like, you will have to introduce yourself to another person.
1: And uh, within this episode, I have this quote here that he got, uh, quote, the realization that girls can get whatever they want, more or less, from weak-willed men.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is true. true. I mean, yes.
1: <laughs> everyone can live the life they want, but I think Newman is that Men can also do whatever they want with weak willed men. That's um, so true. I'm really learn. Uh, just turn on everyone on Tinder and the ratios you'll get. I mean.
0: Yeah, most people can do whatever they want with weak willed people in general. Like, if you identify someone as having a weak will, you yeah. can kind of just fuck with them. Yeah, if the pickup artist has taught us anything, so throughout this throughout this thing, he keeps uh, having sex with much older women, and uh, but he at the same time he falls in love with these young women who are uh, sort of. I feel like most of them are kind of like punk rockers, or you know, they're they're very like gritty. Yeah,
1: um, you know, he's talking about this girl in chapter four. Names. He gives her the fake name, uh, the fake name of Catherine Black. Makes uh, two references in the space of one page to the Motley Crue shirt she is wearing, uh, which ties into the fact that I believe I read on his, like the Amazon description he wrote for the book, uh, that he wants to be the Motley Crue of this generation. Um, I'm honestly not sure I've listened to enough of their songs to like make a, I think they were a hair metal band, which, you know, he's got, he's got the main. he certainly does. Uh, yeah, I've
0: never listened to any Motley Crue, like, at all. Like, I understand that they're sort of of an era, but whenever I'm, like, oh, like, girl in a cool, like, band shirt, I'm, like, okay, like, the Rolling Stones or, like, yeah. you know, the Grateful Dead. Like, i have never, like, Motley Crue. That seems like a very, like, dad. Like, that seems, like, just one step above, like, Steely Dan. Yeah,
1: you know? exactly. Although I would say, like, I just don't think Motley Crue, like, made its way to... Um, people our age
0: Maybe he was changing that to protect her too because it's like her thing oh, you know yeah. so it was like so it problems. was like she was actually wearing um, I don't even know which yeah she was wearing a Jerry Garcia t-shirt yeah. yeah, exactly a couple times he'll reference these women that he has never kissed or never slept with or something like that yeah but it' will be like but but you know but we were absolutely in love and I could never saw her again um, and it's like, Obviously, the the fact that they did not uh, engage physically is very important to his, like, sense of respect for them, which is
1: just, like, funny but depressing. Something I liked in this section with Catherine Black, he talks about how they would together, like, do, like, roasts of, like, authority. Mm. And he, he says, this isn't quite what it would, was, but it was basically, like, and then, like, writes out this paragraph-long roast of, like, a supposed professor. I give him the benefit of the doubt that in the moment the roasts were uh, more... Uh, natural because this one just reads like the rest of the book and you know it's like this professor he's a soy boy he has missionary with his wife asshole has a wife <laughs> three and a half times a week uh, and then gets off the porn that has trigger warnings in it which was is like the first uh inkling of um, the uh internship that is to come uh, oh
0: yeah well he is like a conservative and you like don't get that for a second because he does have this like very kind of like self-pitying thing that like I would say is like common to um, sort of like centrist liberals. Like he does have that very like, oh, you know, like we're all kind of unique and individual and we need to stop, we need to slow down. And then like a couple of pages later, he'll be like, yeah, there are no conservative professors at Princeton and it sucks, which like, there absolutely are, they're Catholic, they're, you know, part of a whole mafia. We can get into it.
1: it's the whole fucking thing
0: it's a whole thing. Like, obviously you're not looking hard enough. Um, but yeah. And, and he'll be like, oh, you know, my boarding school was so invested in participation trophies and, and feel good ideology and whatever. And you're like, oh, is this guy like, is this guy a Republican? Like, I don't think like any true Republican would write this book.
1: Well, he says in the chapter where he talks about his internship for Steve Scalise, he, like, says, like, I didn't really care too much about the policy issues. So, that just means, like, you're, like, a default Republican. Uh, Right. Probably, like, in conversation, I dislike Trump, but it's, like, not, like, that, like, deeply felt.
0: Right. Um, Which, you know, I mean, we kind of blew past it, but, like, oh, my God, Steve Scalise? Yeah. Like, like, Steve Scalise, as someone from Louisiana, like, Steve Scalise, like, you mean, like, the devil incarnate?
1: Like, like, one of the villains, like, one of the guys who will, like, be remembered in, like, the next Michael Lewis novel, which you obviously want to emulate. That's the thing, it's like, I don't know why, he gets plenty of that at Princeton, like, I, you know, like, Scalise is known as, like, one of the most, like, like, anti-gay senators, or is he a rep? Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, he's a representative, my bad. -hmm. Yeah, um, he's a representative. like, I, I'm a politics major at Princeton, one of the largest politics department lecture classes. We had two of our 24 lectures dedicated to the professor mouthing off on, like, literally just, like, delivering the traditional view of marriage. Like, that was the lecture I attended. <laughs> uh, like, there's plenty for you, man. You're just like, we're looking at a course catalog well enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's so crazy to me. And that, right. And the Interpreter's DSC. I do
1: know that uh, uh, Mr. Newman is a history major, which is your forte
0: yeah that's my I am also a history major we are past just like completely diverged um and I ended up doing sort of 19th century Americana history um Native American removal um and westward expansion I don't know like what history department like what part of history he would be in to make my best guess I would either say that like I'd say maybe like economic history because, but that seems like almost too tame.
1: My guess is different than yours. Um, What's your guess? My guess is that his specialty has been in like some early warrior civilization, like Spartan or the Visigoths. And he just- Yeah, I could
0: see that. Or he's like deep into like Russian, like existentialism and he only does sort of like academic philosophy history. Oh, which God. is the most, I mean, talk about like economic history, at least it's, you know, markets shit. Like that's real. Um, I, I'll, I'll be the first, you know, I'll come out and say it. Or not supposed to say that the economy is real, but it is. Um, <laughs> uh, but I would say that Russian, you know, nihilism is certainly not real. So So then we've got
1: chapter yeah. five, the boarding school years, which uh, I have this uh, quote here. Uh, referring to his boarding school, which you and I both took note of, uh, which is, quote, by the time I got there, it was soft, an unfortunate byproduct of leftist feel-good participation trophies ideology, which actually ties into <laughs> the topic we were just talking about. A critique I think we share of this book is that he's always so angry, which I think, like, yeah, I don't think it's as in line with his role models like Bukowski and, like, Jack Kerouac and Fitzgerald as he thinks it is. Like, they, like, loved things.
0: Right. And, and simply by, like, writing about something critically does not, does not mean that you are just expressing like unrestrained vitriol for it. Like even if you were considering this book like a satire, like satire is all about taking like existing patterns and replicating them in places where those patterns don't make sense. I feel like this is just, it's so, um, yeah, it's so, it it verges on sort of that hateful cynicism, um, you know, kind of tearing everything apart and that sort of like, sappy, self-aggrandizing, you know, delivering morals as, you know, adopting the voice of this person who's kind of on high. Um, And it's, it's like neither, uh, neither of those, of the writers that he mentions kind of really falls into that category at all. I mean, yeah, I think that like, I, I think that they are and 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 they don't use writing as a place necessarily to expel all of their like thoughts and feelings but it's sort of a a place of uh respect and like taking in um opposing ideas and sort of weighing things at the same time and things that are not understandable i think that like one of the things with newman is like, like everything is so understandable to him like he is 22 and maybe 21 when he wrote this book and like he gets it all. Which all you know, down. I feel
1: like yeah. There are no questions anymore.
0: Even if uh, Newman does find things to appreciate, it's because he's like figured them out and managed to deconstruct them and managed to sort of figure out how they apply to him and how like they help him and help him live his life in a way that he likes.
1: Yeah. Not to, you know, psychoanalyze the poor boy, but uh <laughs> I think maybe you could say, like, maybe something that is a reason he hated, like, elite boarding school and Princeton was, like, he seems like a person who lacks inquisitiveness. Hmm. Um, Like, he, like, what does he actually love that he returns to time and time again? Fucking, of course. I mean, oh boy. That's,
0: yeah, fucking busty Russian broads.
1: Fucking busty Russian broads. And honestly, I don't think we need, I was gonna, I was counting on my figures, but I think that's all we, my point is.
0: That's the um, only thing.
1: (laughs) yeah he that's the only finger like he talks later in the book but it's like I hate my fellow Princetonians who would only apply to internships and don't talk about Kierkegaard and uh, I, I know that that's not how you pronounce it but like I know I pronounce it wrong so I just decided it does not matter
0: yeah like, he's one, dead it's fine
1: I, I hate my fellow Princetonians who don't talk about Kierkegaard and Hegel but it's like I don't think you necessarily like care about questioning the world uh, it sounds like you like want to be like a cool guy who like Reads, right? The busty Russian broads, which is fine, right. but like be honest.
0: Yeah. And it does seem that that is like the only metric for like creativity for him is that like the only way like a place is like enlightened and the people are worthy of you is if they're sort of engaging with this like high concept um, Western philosophy. And it's like, I had a great time at Princeton for the three years that I went there before I got kicked out after recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what I did was like, I went to class obviously, and I went out and I wrote a lot of comedy. And I was like, I worked very hard and I feel that I was very productive and like very creative, but like, I didn't read, I, I didn't read any of those guys. I don't care. I read one Tolstoy novel and then dropped out of Complet. I was like, you know what? I think I get it. I think I get the idea
1: comes at it from like the wrong angle but like every so often he makes like an observation that like rings true to me about like how like hyper success focused Princeton is well that's like only one element of it like it's you know it's 7,000 people doing a bunch of different things
0: yeah it's so irritating to me that that very legitimate critique is coming from someone who is sort of involving it in his own um in, in this sort of, it, it, that that it, this book is sort of representative of this greater narcissistic fantasy and this, you know, kind of convoluted, like these all these sexual escapades and things, where it's like, there is a very like, legitimate critique in here, but it is just so deep. Like, why did it have to come from this? Like, why did it have to it, be overshadowed it, by the rest of this? It
1: makes you wonder if the book is almost uh, a satire, which it isn't, but like, no. There's a chapter later on, which, like, my note, uh, which is like, there's the chapter that is, like, his uh, Business Today field trip, which, you know, mm-hmm. Business Today being, um, for instance, largest, he claims, um, mm-hmm. I think we're, you, you and I are in the largest. <laughs> One of mm-hmm. the largest undergraduate extracurricular clubs, which is a business finance. The management. Hands Come
0: Society. Yeah. Um, no, go on.
1: So he went on this, like, big old trip on behalf of business today, like talking to corporations to get them to fund the Princeton magazine. Fine. And it's really boring to me, this chapter, just like step-by-step, step, like how to get on a plane, how he like made his pitches and then like returned to the hotel room. And like, I find it way less interesting than when he's fucking Russian broads. but he's totally into it. He even says point blank. I loved it. So it's like... Right.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting to me because like at the court, you know, he's so critical of this and then you actually get, you know, whatever it is, 70% of the way through the book, according to um, Kindle. And you find, he's like, oh, I actually love all these things. And you're like, wait, 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 hang on. You love business today? You love, you know, setting up meetings with CEOs and pitching your projects to them? He loved it, which is really just, you know, it's so... Contradictory, and and so many of this, so much of this is so contradictory.
1: Chapter seven, Paris. This is the one where he explains uh, bars. And oh yeah,
0: he loves. It. He does that in two chapters actually, yes. which is cr- crazy to me that he dedicates two chapters to explaining what a bar is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, quote: I learned to lube myself up and slip in and out of groups and conversations and plots and schemes in life like a voluptuous french cougar older woman reference in a black lace slip. So um, what does it say to us look i'm not trying to queer everything okay that's mm-hmm. not my bag. Sure. What does it say to us that he imagines himself as the voluptuous older woman here?
0: Yeah, i mean Right and and sort of like his conversational aspect kind of taking on like this like sexual quality. and of course we know that he only talks to men in this sort of serious um, in this serious way of a traveler as kind of he gets more into later um, which has definitely has the effect of and this is this whole thing about bars taught me how to live and bars taught me you know how to converse and whatever and presumably mostly like with men from all of the examples that he gives in the book, um, which is like, definitely contributes to this whole kind of um, homosociality. Like in the entire book is like, it's not necessarily, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing explicit about it, but it is true that like the only meaningful experiences, the point of like life-changing to the point where he's like, I'm not going to put my faith in Princeton or in business today comes from these interactions with men in which he describes himself like a voluptuous French cougar in a black lace slope.
1: Yeah, he's, he's the voluptuous French cougar in a black lace lip. And he like walks up to the man who's wearing sandals and like smoking like uh, camels. And this man bestows upon him the worldly wisdom. And then on the other side of the coin, there's a great line where he's uh, talking once again about uh, the women who make their bank uh, manipulating men. And he ends right. that little missive with, um, he ends that little section by saying, by the way, I'm not judging these women. Some of them are my best friends.
0: Isn't that, like, classic, like, like prejudicial language yeah, of, like, so X is my best friend?
1: literally, like, I have black friends. Like right. <laughs> um, right.
0: I have many friends who are sexual, horrid women.
1: Yeah, rapacious succubuses. Yeah. I,
0: <laughs> I have many friends who happen to be demonic whores.
1: <laughs> so... Yeah, and then... Uh, Wait,
0: can he, you tell me, you highlighted, you you pulled a quote, a bunch of sick Machiavellian fucks? Can yes, you tell me, me who this refers to? A, to? I don't remember.
1: As uh, It was like a thing about how like we all manipulate like that. Uh, and uh, he referred to humanity as a bunch of sick Machiavellian fucks. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Um, well, sure. Sorry.
0: Yeah.
1: I think there are a bunch of sick Machiavellian fucks. <laughs> but like our-
0: yeah I know I think there definitely are um, I'm not even sure Machiavelli was one of them so yeah, no, it was,
1: he's one of those like misunderstood ones
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like Dr. Seuss
1: Dr. Seuss loved the Japanese <laughs> <laughs> so- you
0: read in between the lines um, yeah and then of course on this sort of on this journey he has another encounter with a young woman that he does not have sex with which makes her valuable
1: yeah and rather quote rather than go to some trashy club filled with leather jackets and pomade clad hair which you <laughs> think he'd like pomade
0: yeah he seems like someone who would
1: i brought her to one of my favorite jazz clubs in the latin quarter now uh,
0: if i had a nickel Nate, if i had a nickel for every for time. time
1: well you're in New <laughs> orleans Yeah,
0: that's, I mean, yeah, it's true. No, 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 I know. I just, I. it reminds me of those memes that like guys be like, I know a spot and take you to one of his favorite jazz clubs in the Latin Quarter.
1: That's true. (laughs) (laughs) The currently relevant meme of the stick figure standing in the corner of the party being like, they don't know that we'd be having a much better time at the jazz club (laughs) in the Latin (laughs) Quarter. Exactly. When I visit you in New Orleans, I'm going to insist we go to a voodoo funeral. Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay.
0: <laughs> Sounds great. Um, I think that yeah, I think that we'll we'll definitely have fun. We might get cursed, um, but it was to say, I mean, we can't we can't get more cursed than we already are. Maybe we can. I don't know.
1: That's the dream. So chapter nine is just he drives around Wadi Rum, Jordan, in a jeep, which I have done. It's very beautiful what were we supposed to take away from it
0: um right I, I every one of these has morals now so i keep like quizzing myself <laughs> on like i'm like okay i feel like i have to make like a quizlet of like all right in the like driving around in the jordanian sun like what was the moral yeah we've already touched on um that his next summer a lot of this it goes through his summers which is like a very interesting construction because right. i think that was also points yeah i think that also points to the fact that he like does not like to work very much which like seems to be kind of his main problem with Princeton is that there's too much work.
1: Yeah. And I relate to the pathology of only having fun in the summer in high school, because of course, you know, I was, I was in high school. Uh, I was, and this is unsurprising about me. I like was a straight edge <laughs> in high school. Um, mm-hmm. very diligent, but in the summers at Jewish summer camp, I went crazy. Well, I was definitely much more supervised than Arthur here. So like when he was 15, fucking Valeria, I was hooking up with a very nice girl with the same first name as my mother. This happened. There's only four Jewish first names. Um, Nathaniel is not even one of them. And uh, so, yeah, he really just sort of uh, had, and maybe that's part of the thing, is that, like, maybe he built up a false expectation that Princeton be, like, summer all year round uh, because you're, like, Mm. away from the rents. But the point is, one of these summers, uh, the summer immediately before college, brought him to be an intern for house... Then majority whip, now minority whip. Steve Scalise, just like one of one of the bad dudes, one of the ones where it's like you know, like us good leftists, we have to like keep a certain distance from constantly shitting on conservatives so we can keep up our right. But like this guy, like is the devil. We can you know, it's it's still like chill to say. No, that.
0: he's the worst. Yeah, and I thought it was really funny that like the New York Post article mentioned he was like, that uh, the Newman described him as a real life Frank Underwood. And I was like, okay, interesting. Like maybe he has some insights about, you know, his kind of behavior and like what terrible things he did. And then I read it and it was like only literally because he was majority whip, like, and occupied the same role in Congress as Frank Underwood did fictionally.
1: You know what I like to do, Claire? I like to go play a <laughs> baseball game and get shot. I think I got shot. On- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think he did. That was right, right. Um, they they punished, his gar- they punished him by punishing his character.:
1: Oh, oh, uh, very brief. Uh, Kevin Spacey, like a year after he got canceled, made this video where he was like making like bake- like baking something in his own house, talking the Frank Underwood voice, being like, "Look, people said I did bad things, and perhaps I did." but you love to watch me do bad things. So why don't you let me back into your life? After all, you never really saw me die. And it was like Kevin Spacey doing this like weird double speak thing to like try to win back the public's heart.
0: <laughs> that is so <laughs> insane. But I think that is sort of the logical conclusion of the Underwood persona and yeah. the reason why we shouldn't overuse the fourth wall as a storytelling device.
1: You know, Ferris Bueller is a fucking antecedent of that. Um, Yeah, of course. But, you know, it didn't go too far. Yeah, the scariest part of that, uh, experiencing that video I just talked to you about, was uh, the comments where people were like, Underwood's back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Underwood never went. We just got rid of a pedophile. But
0: um, (laughs) that's so funny. Um, Yeah, well, I would love for, in the biopic eventually, for Newman to be played by sort of an aging kind of one foot in the grave Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yes,
1: well, I was like, like the other <laughs> one is like for him to be played by the Newman, uh, who you know, right, sort of that different physicality. Uh-
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he could be played. Uh, yeah, I think that like it could really be up to um, the sort of screenplay adapter's interpretation of it. Like, I think it could be, you know, sort of a very goofy kind of a sitcom style. Yeah. Um, or it could be, like, one of those things like Pen15, where it's just clearly like a, like a child.
1: Um, I yeah. think it
0: could be a cool reverse Pen15, where instead of, like, adults doing it an, with two children. Yeah, it's a child and then a bunch everyone else is adults. Yeah.
1: One thing I had to note on this chapter, which is, like, his, like, last summer between high school and college, was, like, he, there's another, like, sexual escapade. And he talks about like this crazy hot girl who's desperate to fucking. And then she says uh, she's on birth control and she begs him not to wear a condom. But he is responsible and wears one anyway. Which, like, fine, totally realistic event. I don't doubt that it happened Mm -hmm. in his life. But what purpose does that serve to the book? To like (laughs) tell us he a condom on.
0: Yeah. God. Jeez. I mean, I get it. Like. That is like the only part in the book where I kind of understand where he was like, oh like you know women are so alluring and mysterious and whatever and when he said that I'm like, yeah women are feral and some of them want you to do insane like risky things and it does not make sense but like you know whatever it is uh, it's it's an impulse and but him totally ignoring that and being like but I wore one anyway, I'm like, okay like I was just like, all right, you've spent all this time mysterious and captivating women are. Like, the least you could do is not wear a condom when this woman asks
1: okay, to. you. gotta go that far. It makes me wonder about, like, the missing, like, going to CVS for Plan B chapter, um, where he could... Right. Get-
0: yeah, I've been picturing just a C, an in, like a CVS kind of interlude, like you know when those interludes in like old timey um, movie theater where you could go to the um, go to the counter and get popcorn, like you while there was like a little music playing or whatever, and there was a countdown. I've been picturing one of those in between each chapter, but but the little design is him like as a cartoon going to buy um, Plan B and like STI medication.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's all go to the live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to get ourselves Plan B.
1: $50. That's how that ends. Fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. Not if you
0: split it between him and his roommates. That's a tip for you.
1: It's <laughs> a <laughs> Plan B fund.
0: Yeah, you're like you don't want a kid to live here either.
1: So my roommates right now are my 30 uh, year old sister and her husband. They could probably swing that. Maybe out of pity at this point. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, you, well, Nate. You know, you've been. We understand.
0: (laughs) Um, Can we skip ahead to chapter 12, how I got into Princeton? You
1: mean you wanna skip chapter 11, crumpet eating limeys, the random four page repeating of the sentence, I hate England, I guess we can skip it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Long story short, he got detained in England and like Julian Assange and many other great men. He, uh, he was held in a detention center because he didn't have a visa and then was sent back to New York, which was very funny.
1: Yeah, and on The ride Home, he, he watched, quote, a movie I found fantastic, even if the critics didn't. And I got asked the question, what was it?
0: I know you, Nate, and I know that you will be thinking, like, on your deathbed, like, what oh, was the movie?
1: It's like, true. <laughs> I'm ready for it to be Daddy's home.
0: Yeah, no, I think it should be um, Step Brothers. So, wait, can I just list the full? So, we built up to the moment. I would love to tell you about all the colleges that Newman got into and didn't get into. Okay. In total, I applied to nearly two dozen colleges and was admitted to 19. I got into Pomona College. Vanderbilt University, Brown University, Williams College, University of Virginia, Wesleyan University, Cornell University, Dartmouth College, University of Pennsylvania, Duke University, Columbia University, Northwestern University, Washington University, in St. Louis, Georgetown University, Hamilton College, Claremont McKenna College, McGill University, and Middlebury College. I was waitlisted at Harvard and the University of Chicago. I was rejected from Yale University, Amherst College, Swarthmore College, and Stanford University.
1: I was going to say it's badass on Swarthmore's part, though, but...
0: Yeah, no, it's very cool of them.
1: So, yeah, he you know, some impressive stuff here, Um, which, you know, once again gives the lie to uh, how much he flagellates himself for spending so much time uh, working to get into college. But, uh, you know, his friend Jenna, a Slovenian girl who was and remains extremely fond of him, came to New York all the way from Europe in December on a yearly trip, but he couldn't see her. He was too busy. It broke his heart a bit, but it was the discipline, the game. As a player, he had to respect the rules. And then I also have the quote, Felicio had yet to conclude – but I don't remember where in the book it's from.
0: No, <laughs> I think you could really put it, just drop it anywhere Just sort of say, there was no fellatio
1: at this, this point. It could be real fellatio or it could be his constant fellatio metaphors for- um,
0: Oh, that's right. Because he he uses like a, like a, a lot of dick sucking metaphors for trying to get into college, which is also kind of a homosocial thing because it's the thing he wants most of all. Yeah. Um, and he is prepared to sort of- You know, exchange sexual favors and and engage in sex
1: acts for it, which is kind of. It kind of puts too high a premium on dick sucking, which is not difficult. Uh, Yeah. But. uh,
0: I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, right. I mean, a real seasoned pro, like, what are we, like $300? I don't know. You can you can tweet at us or something um, if you know how much a blowjob goes for. But I would not say that it would sort of be worth the money.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing like back like in high school, uh, when I would, you know, bro out with my with my guy friends and, you know, be like in the closet by, uh, you know, we would like play a game where it'd be like X person. How much would you pay? How much would you need to get paid to suck their dick? And, you know, if they're hot, mm. the answer would be like, I don't know, like $5. I could use like, yeah. but, you know, I, I was in the closet. I had to be like-
0: You're like quid I, pro I, I quo, know. my friend.
1: A hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> And then when Scott finally got into Princeton, uh, he imagined himself as Bruce Wayne. In the worst of the 10 Batman movies, The Dark Knight Rises, but it was, you know, <laughs>
0: Does Suicide Squad count as a Batman movie?
1: It's uh, a good question. I don't think I'm the right... I don't know. Who makes those decisions?
0: Hey, the, board.
1: the board. I don't know. Yeah, yeah the trustee. The
0: mayor. <laughs> the trustees of Princeton.
1: But Suicide Squad is just, like, bad. Dark Knight Rises is, yeah. is, like... Um, like, it, it thinks it's good. I think there's a lot... Uh, one of the books defining chapters is a uh, chapter 13, the college essays I never submitted. Right. My favorite uh, from his one. Uh, so he gives us a couple essays that were prospective college essays that he didn't end up using. Um, one of which was titled, I have no identity. And uh, it talked about how he was not, you know, he want, he was nose to the grindstone, hitting the books to get good AP scores, but he preferred to be spilling beer on fellow Guns N' Roses-loving concertgoers. Here's the thing. Guns N' Roses? The entire time you, me, and Scott have been alive, have been awful. Slash quit. He's back now, but, like, when we were applying to college, he quit. Axl Rose has no voice.
0: I'm right there with you. Well, it doesn't say that they're at a Guns N' Roses concert. It just says that they love Guns N' Roses. Oh, and, they, well,
1: and that follows them around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they could be at a Jimmy Buffett concert, but they prefer Guns N' Roses. But
1: he is spilling beer. Hey. Help.
0: Yeah, he is spilling beer on them. Maybe that's because he's a Guns N' Roses hater?
1: Mm. He's
0: sort of doing it purposefully? <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe he knows they suck.
1: True, that's true. Um, yes. And then college, chapter 14, college. Lists all the Princeton eating clubs. Forget um, power. I triple checked. <gasps> uh, which how know, dare he? Forget me. one that, like, makes sense. But, like.
0: Yeah, um, there's one passing mention of my own club, Terrace, um, <laughs> which was, uh, I don't know what he's like, he's like, yeah, maybe you can find drugs there or something. But then later he says, uh, he's complaining about college because he says the parties end at 2 a.m. and there's very little drug use. Oh, I wanted to bring up that uh, he has some, uh, so some Princeton students read this or read the uh, uh, preview of it on Amazon and did did, uh, post their reviews, which were very exciting. Um, One of them said, uh, social climbing is bad, but his writing is even worse. The content in the book factored with the author's background make me realize we need to tax the rich and start a revolution to topple the oppressive system of of American orthodoxy spearheaded by the elite, which is wordy and like a lot, like you could have just said that it was bad. Um, But I thought it was very funny that like, I think that um, there was kind of a campaign on the socials to sell this book or to, you know, post this, or that, you know, maybe that the kind of press would generate people, you know, buying these, buying this book and uh, the reviews have not been great.
1: No, which is a shame. You don't want it to be a box office bomb. Yeah, this chapter, (laughs) you know, I have three, these quotes here, this is like where the chapter that the New York Post article pulled a lot from where he's railing against the like success-driven culture of Princeton, he says, Everyone ends up putting on the suit, and no one is immune to the suit. People only talk about recruitment. You don't even have people throwing Frisbees on the lawn. Now, those sentences are all untrue. I think he believes them, which is you know, sort of a self-selecting uh, thing, again. I think this guy would have been a great candidate for uh, the Princeton Film Society. Uh, uh, I'm sure they would screen Ferris Bueller's Day off every once in a while. Um, this room? Yeah, I just... Yeah
0: Yeah I know I just It's so interesting to me That people get to Princeton And they I mean I felt the same way I kind of got there And I was like Initially disappointed And then I like Made the slightest effort To like join Any sort of group Where I was interested In doing things That the group Was also interested in doing And then Had a much better time
1: Yeah Yeah All similar That's why I quit uh, The Ultimate Frisbee team
0: You quit? You were not Thrown out?
1: (laughs) I quit I quit Hey 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 (laughs) (laughs) they don't cut if they cut i would have been thrown out no the the, the basic thing uh was you know like ultimate frisbee was invented in 1970 in maplewood new jersey by three jewish high school men including joel silver who would later go on to like executive produce some marvel movies so you know it's like the it's the sport for non-athletes and then when i get to princeton and the princeton and ultimate club is like the most like fratty people at Princeton and they forced me to do a disc which is bending over like a hog and drinking like four beers out of a frisbee without coming up for breath you know you know me Sophie
0: oh my (laughs) god
1: (laughs) There, I can relate to uh you know the the dislike of the 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 prestige orgasm although uh you know there was also sort of an erotic asphyxiation thing in the
0: (laughs) from the from the hog yeah, and then he sleeps and he does some business today, which we kind of already got into, and sleeps with a recruiter, which is also seems very problematic. With um,
1: recruiter in Princeton in a vacant Airbnb.
0: Yeah, he didn't say if he rented this Airbnb, just that it was vacant.
1: My head cannon is that he uh, didn't pay for it.
0: Yeah, I hope he didn't. Um, and then afterwards, texted her, Never change, rock star. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if you got okay wait 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 wait. if you hooked up with someone and then they texted you never change rockstar you're awesome (laughs) how would you feel
1: okay so my brain's initial response to your question is well there are a lot of mitigating factors but then i think about it it's like no regardless i don't like that i'm sure yeah
0: that makes me like truly like I would feel like my vetting process for, like, like hooking up with people would just, like, bump up three times, too. Yeah. I am sure that they would never text me such a thing.
1: Yeah, let's make sure of it. Makes me wish uh, you and I hadn't both read the book so I could text you that just to fuck with you, see what you're response. Oh,
0: God. Well, yeah, someday. Um, it'll be sort of a 51st state situation. Yeah,
1: someday one of us will forget and we at least <laughs> expect it. Never change our Sorry.
0: Yeah. Just like the night, you know, the night before one of us gets married. It's sort of just, you know, send off a little text. Never changed, Rockstar. You're awesome. And we kind of snap out of it and, you know, go, what are we doing here?
1: Fuck. We have to go (laughs) back to the vacant Airbnb where it all began.
0: (laughs) Can we talk about the sentence, the following sentence? Wait, wait,
1: wait, wait, before you say it. (laughs) There's a little little thing I want to. Okay. Here's what we're gonna do. Okay, let's pretend. Okay. Let's let's pretend we are starting a a. This is the beginning. Okay. The last mm-hmm. forty seven minutes of conversation didn't happen. Yeah. So today, hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today, Sophie and I will be uh, discussing this really nice quote. From uh, this book, uh, the night before, the morning after. Uh, Sophie, do you want do you want to read the quote? Because I think we there's a lot of material. I would love to.
0: <clears throat> Billy Joel's Piano Man strikes at the very heart of human interaction.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> um, Nate and I both separately highlighted this and posed the same question, which was, Does it?
1: Does it? Yeah. I apologize. I just got so excited. Um,
0: yeah. Oh God. No, I'm right there with you, buddy. I just, I read it and I was like, yeah. Oh, does it, what about it? Is it the waitress practicing politics? Is it?
1: (laughs) Well, this is the thing. It's, um, it struck a big chord for me because I once had like a 30 minute, uh, argument with like people when I was like 16, trying to be cool. And the question was, um, does the line, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. The question was, does that line constitute wordplay? Can you really Joel, enough to say that those two meanings of the word alone are wordplay? Or are they the same meaning, which means it's just redundant?
0: Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying with that. It seems like just a metaphor stacked on top of a metaphor. It seems like a metaphor sandwich.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's too, and it's like, they're, they're not quite, but what strikes the very, to back to our larger question, of you know, after my, yeah. question, uh, what what is it that strikes the very heart of human interaction? Is it when they put bread in his jar and say, man, what is he doing? Because <laughs> Billy, jo- I, I just want to know, because he, he, he doesn't go on. Uh, it's like the yeah. sentence and then, because like, I know Billy Joel is the piano man. I know that because when I was five and I first heard the song on a long car ride, my mom started elbowing me saying, see, see, he's the piano man. He's talking about himself. But is Newman the piano man? Is he, is he the, the- Yeah. Is he the businessman slowly getting stoned? Is he a real estate mom? Right.
0: I don't, I also don't see why the question, man, what are you doing here is in that song? Because obviously he's playing, he's the piano man. This is his job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty obvious what he's doing here.
1: That's another thing. It's like, okay, so like real estate novelist, the question being like, the idea being like, okay, so like he's like writes novels when he's like selling houses to people. Um, Yeah. Like is that deep? Not a job, but okay. Not a job. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay, so if Billy Joel's Piano Man strikes the very hard human interaction, like what happens? It's like a bunch of people separately drinking at a bar and occasionally like saying passive aggressive things to each other.
0: Yeah, they all suck. It's sort of the forerunner of It's Always Sunny. They're, they're all just kind of...
1: Piano man.
0: Yeah. Which he's the only one that's there to entertain them, and they're all asking him to sing them a song. There's they're a all song going, sing us a song, you're the piano man. And then they are go like, going, what are you doing here? I mean, they're all clearly alcoholics. Because they forget. I mean, they, they ask him to sing a song, and then they immediately forget.
1: They stuff single dollar bills in his grubby little jar with his, their grubby little hands. And they're like, man, what are you doing here?
0: <laughs> yeah, what? And okay, so. Uh, I
1: was hmm. with all of Newman's flowery descriptions of his lovely time in bars, whereas Piano Man is a very bad time in a bar. It's sort of, you know, it's a lot of
0: That's true. That's true. It also doesn't track in that sense. But yeah. and And his. Although Newman's does sound like, I mean, his experience does sound like bad because he talks about all these various types of people that he's seeing, like the tech bros and the finance bros and the whatever. And uh, he does notably use the word barmaid. He's like, you should always talk to the barmaid because the barmaid has a lot of stories. And he keeps saying barmaid, barmaid, barmaid. And at first I was like, yeah, that's a real word. And then I remembered that the word bartender exists and it's gender neutral. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that was a bit of a shock.
1: Um yeah, it's antiquated. Similarly, when during that Germany summer and my dad visited me and it was time to uh pay the check from our nice young female waitress at a Vietnamese restaurant, my dad went, um, Freulein, Freulein, and I had to be like, Dad, Dad, wait, no one uses that word anymore. No, 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 no. No, I'm <laughs> sorry. That's
0: very funny. <laughs> um, oh, in the same chapter he says, uh, this is a quote that I genuinely love, but I don't know how like how sincerely, I don't know how like much he realized it was funny or good, but um, it was, there is no such thing as a stranger. Only, uh, only a friend whom you haven't met yet. I saw that on a plaque in a ski lodge once.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So I just
0: really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. The next chapter, Jack, is where he meets one of his mm-hmm. male crushes. Uh, and he describes this guy, Jack, as uh, having a bunch of tats and rings a vest with a shit ton of pockets in it that contain the secrets of the universe, black leather boots, and a huge pair of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg's.
0: Aw, it's back. Um, Yeah, it's, it. yeah, he, so the arc is that he is, went to college and did all the recruiting things, but now he is going to uh, bars, as in the case of the Piano Man and he's also going to, he meets Jack at uh, a music performance venue, um, and then has this escapade with his friend in the next chapter, which is chapter 19.
1: Yeah, along the way to go clubbing, he reads obscure passages from his favorite novels out loud.
0: I would literally push someone out of the car, like if we were about to go clubbing, and if they were like, hang on, let me read you um, my favorite passage from The Pale King, David Foster Wallace's unfinished novel. I th- think I would push them out of the car.
1: A little bit of Foucault in my life. <laughs> A little Margaret Atwood by my side. I know she's not obscure. but it had to be- Yeah, no,
0: I mean, she's kind of, I mean, right. She, you know, she straddles.
1: Yeah, this is when I think maybe if there was any arc, this is sort of, that's actually the point in the movie where he's like, wait. Playing the business today, Root, ain't my thing. I gotta go out and read Hegel in the car.
0: Yeah, do you think he's sort of priming this for some sort of, like, HBO show? And not, like, an HBO show about how people are, like, sex criminals, but, like, a, you know, an HBO kind of, um, like, a movie or something like that where it's, it, I would say, like, Euphoria yeah. meets um, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street.
1: I mean, that's the dream. Uh, Right is is a euphoria meets the Wolf Wall Street.
0: Yeah, and then he okay. um, I think that we're nearing the end here, which is kind of surprising because it doesn't seem like there's any particular. I thought this ended pretty prematurely. Like I was expecting him to write, you know, his like JPs um, and to you know do his work and sort of something to happen, and maybe like Corona kind of changed him around. Um, But no, he. Yeah, where's the Corona epilogue of like, I have been subsisting only on dirty martinis and um, bar nuts for the last four months?
1: Yeah, so when we get to here, is uh, wait, where are we?
0: We're on chapter 20. Showers, whiskey, and Albanian mobsters. Oh, now the um, chapter titles are just uh, uh, nouns that happen in the chat, that come up in the chapter.
1: Very helpful. I had forgotten (laughs) what chapter 20 was about until Sophie said the title just now, and now I'm back. Oh, he's back. The Albanian mobster. Uh, And uh, oh, one of uh, Newman's best sexual metaphors uh, with the Albanian mobster's daughter? George's daughter, her head went where? Uh, <laughs> him and then wakes up to Dyson grade suction.
0: Yeah, that was disgusting. It's I'll like, be the I'll, first to say.
1: It's like I've always said, if you're actually feeling suction, that isn't a blowjob. Chapter 21. Pistone. That, yeah. Both of our-
0: <laughs> Just moving on.
1: <laughs> I not know what that word was. I'm going to Google it now. It's a highball. Made of Pisco and most yeah. a cola drink that is popular in Chile. Oh. Uh, um, so there you go. You
0: can't put that in a thing and not have me just go, Pisco
1: Piscola. Piscola. Piscola.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yes. And so this is sort of where he figures out what he wants to do, although he doesn't say what he wants to Much like he doesn't say what the great movie he saw was. He uh-huh. never says... What he wants to do. Um, and only that he has gone on this vacation and he has met these men that are brothers. It says it's, it uses brothers also in a very homosocial way where it's like we have forged a bond together through like almost getting frostbite and he meets all these men that are um, very not cagey about introducing him to their friends. Although there is sort of this thing of like, oh, it's so not like Princeton where people are very cagey and bad about introducing you and bad about turning you on to opportunities. It's like, yes, there are differences between hanging out around a bunch of people socially and like being in a networking event where like it is competitive. Like,
1: uh, Would you say that there is a difference between going to a network event and just kind of hanging out down the street, the same old thing? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Fuck up. Uh, the <laughs> where uh, the homosociality comes to the fore. And you and I both thought of Ernest Hemingway, who is another author that uh, clearly taken a lot of influence from, though he doesn't name check him specifically. Sophie, have you read The Sun Also Rises? I had to read it in high school. I
0: have read The Sun Also Rises. I love that book, but I had a weird... I mean, I, it took me a while to appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sure. I, it did me too. See, what happened was when I was made to read it in 10th grade, uh, my professor professor. Jesus. Um, My teacher was a lovely, lovely woman in general. Uh, Like personally just like didn't like Hemingway. And so we just read like the first 50 pages before she got bored. But um, to uh, absolve that, she showed us the Hollywood movie The Sun Also Rises, which is from the 50s and (gasps) uh, stars like the really attractive B-listers. So like the star is this guy Tyrone Power who was like sort of like the Gerard Butler of his day. Um, mm. And it was so, it was a, it's a bad movie. It's a bad adaptation. And the real <gasps> part is like, so 10 minutes in. So you've gotten like the normal opening of Sun Also Rises. You know, he like goes to a party with Brett. You know, they flirt a little and then boom, flashback. It's the, it's the encampment in World War One, And the camp doctor says to, I'm forgetting the protagonist's name. Jake. Jake. Uh, the camp doctor says to Jake, well, Jake, I fear it's the worst. You're going to be impotent, and the music's well, <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: fuck subtlety, fuck Hemingway. All my homies hate Hemingway.
1: Fuck the iceberg, <laughs> F- fuck figuratively. Yeah,
0: wow. Fuck the iceberg. That's so funny. Oh yeah. my god,
1: that was so good. And wow, school. I feel like that was like the number one way to learn.
0: Yeah, I feel like um, it's, it's surprising how much, like, once you learn about homosociality in, like, high school or whatever, like, any English class as a theory, you realize that, like, why all books are the way that they are. Where it's, like, you think of, like, Pride and Prejudice, and you're like, oh, Mr. Darcy's, like, fine when he's at home with his, like, best bro friend, but, like, he's terrible whenever he talks to a woman. Yeah. And you're like oh, I get it, you know, like, it all, it all makes sense um, once, like, you're introduced to that, like, key theory, which I was only introduced to when we read Moby Dick, and um, my teacher just said, like, very, kept saying, um, so the men are getting together, and they are squeezing the sperm. They are squeezing the sperm together, and we were all like, why are you saying this to us?
1: Mr. Dar, uh, kind of, it's kind of what made Dar- Mr. Darcy hot, though.
0: So, so right. He is, he is, you know, kind of establishing himself as a Hemingway, Heming, Hemingwayian figure, um, which is interesting because I feel like Hemingway was like relied a lot. Like, I, I don't think you can have Hemingway without the sort of like traditional masculinity and suppression of feelings and denial of one's own emotions, which does not seem like what Newman is going for at all
1: uh yeah yeah it's once again it's like he wants to be these dudes and that's the end of it like
0: right yeah and and i mean then the next chapter which is the night before the morning after where it's sort of like the night before the morning after is every night every day because there will always be a morning after when you regretted some things you didn't regret some some things you have to kind of pick up the pieces and move on. So you should just live the night before the morning after because there will be a morning after. But that ignores the fact that some morning afters are have much better outcomes than other mornings afters.
1: He very abruptly ends the book. It's like, you know, because like chapter 21 is like one of the fucking adventures. And then chapter 22 is like, so this is what I've learned. And so I face the final curtain. Um, and the quote <laughs> was, I've chosen to live my life as a writer and a rock star, a poet and a matador, a sailor and a pilot, and to that I would add a walrus and a carpenter, a, <laughs> sailor, a, sailor, a, sailor, and a spy, a young, and restless <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: the one that <laughs> matador. So-
0: yeah, matador really got to me as well. It was interesting because. Very, like, like we had said before, very, very much in line with Hemingway, but also um, very odd because he has shown no propensity for bullfighting thus far.
1: That's true. Would you ever do the running of the bulls?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I like things like that. I really enjoy, you know, sort of um, like light, life or death situations. Um, I would very much. And what about you?
1: I think I'd do the running. Level. It's the kind of thing where it's like I look at it. And I'm like, wouldn't I die? But like most people don't, so I'm, I'll just like do what the crowd does. I actually, yeah, um,
0: it's sort of like Mardi Gras, but with a more kind of um, straightforward purpose.
1: Yeah, I actually almost um, ex- my car almost exploded on you just a couple days ago, so I'm right there with you. Might be why I'm thinking about. Wow. It. Yeah.
0: Do you know what happened yet?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all fixed now. But basically, um, one of my four spark plugs uh melted its connection off the car and so it was just you know like this you know like well kerosene nugget was just like rattling around <laughs> the engine yeah. so like i if, if i hadn't pulled into my shout out to my of lawrenceville i might have like exploded like really theatrically
0: whoa very fun very fun good good special effects but only if you get it on camera if no one's around to get it on camera then it was all for naught
1: after, it was really short. I was really excited at the time because, like, afterward, like, when I, you know, when the car was fixed and I, like, realized I, because I didn't know until I, like, talked to the mechanic who told me everything I just told you that I had a near-death experience. And then, so, for a few minutes, it lasted, like, a couple hours. I was like, damn, I had a near-death experience. So, I went home, a stationary <laughs> bike, and I, like, biked so hard. I was like, this is it. No more, Scenic routes, I'm only doing the, the, the classes now with the like peppy host who tells you to run faster.
0: That's so funny because my near-death experience was the fact that I got into a car with a stranger and then realized that I had done so and might be being kidnapped. Um, my friend was also with me, but he was useless. Um, and I rather than sort of be mad or try to figure out like ways in which to stop my kidnapping, just like a couple years ago, I was just deeply angry at myself. I was just like, you fucking idiot. You got into a car. Like, you deserve to be kidnapped. Like, you deserve. Like, you You know what? This is probably good. This is probably good. And <laughs> just going on and on and on about how much I deserve to be kidnapped.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. What the? How old were you when this happened?
0: Like, 19.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I could probably be similar.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah, so from this memoir in total... I mean what do we have to uh, what do we, what do, what do we have to take away from this experience
1: you know it's difficult to um i guess we're kind of in an afterword now so i would say yeah difficult to pick one central theme in a book as thematically diverse as infinite jest <laughs> <laughs> i would say hmm. that uh, Regarding the night before, the morning after, I just wish you could be more honest because like, what I get from it is like a portrait of a guy who likes to take it easy and party, and that is his hobby. Great, say la vie. But don't right. end that you... What he thinks the thesis is, which is like, live like me and you'll be like Thoreau and uh, the universe will show its full form to you.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, too. And I think that it's also, like, in a way that, you know, uh, at least the central kind of conflict seems to be that Newman grew up far too fast and is the kind of person that was always racing to the next thing, whether that be, you know, the next sexual experience or trying some drug or traveling or something like that. And he has kind of come to realize that – loss of innocence like the the very rapid sort of uh like revved up loss of innocence was not really worth itself and that you know maybe for him the world lacks mystery now or he believes that he's seated all and he is trying to kind of create something from what like like this like intense rapid loss of innocence that like it has to mean something or otherwise he was just kind of squandering all of his new experiences which like squander them as you may like I have you know certainly squandered my share, fair share of experiences like done a lot have seen a lot but um I think I find like ways to be interested in the world and interested in what's going on like despite that fact like I have definitely you know had some similar experiences um uh I have my own valerius, I don't but it wouldn't it be fun if I did
1: yeah and it's like it's hard to pin it feels like Except for when these cool, um, like, Portland hipster-dressed men, like, teach him, like, remind him to look at the stars. Like, I can't pinpoint, like, a moment uh, in the book where he, like, learns and isn't, like, already on. Um, And it's like he, like, it's sort of like a myopic view of the world, where, like, you're either uh, Madison Cawthorn Princeton Tech Student of the Month, or you 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 like drop out and like basically chauvinist um right
0: and it's like where are all the people who kind of semi dropped out or or dropped out of specific parts of princeton like there are people who have maybe dropped out a little bit from you know rigorous academics or people have dropped out from you know specific eating club kind of things or people i mean you really can like pick and choose and just because you kind of drop off with something doesn't mean that you don't invest, like, tenfold or whatever in a completely different arena of life.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because it's, like, I don't think, dreaded word coming up, I don't think Newman would style himself as a nihilist. But, like, he really doesn't, like, make a case that he, like, cares about anything specific. (laughs) Other than caring to, like, for, like of a american conservative view of personal freedom which he you know, like i guess could be a thing but he doesn't like a, a, i mean articulate that as like a consistent philosophy i just think it's all very muddling. yeah I wanted to write a book
0: yeah i know i mean it's, it's just interesting to me because i realize i wonder if like this doesn't come out of a very similar princetonian tendency you know he kind of rails against people going very corporate but like does this not kind of represent this like very corporate tendency to commodify one's own like life and narrative? Like, isn't this kind of just another form of like a college personal essay, but you know, trying to kind of sell yourself to the world as a specific kind of person who has it all figured out? Because I think that's what college essays want you to do too. Like they want you to say that like, I have figured out what it means to fail at the tender young age of 17, where it's like, A lot of us have not, like, and we're lying to the common app, which is fine. I don't feel qualms about that, but it does seem that he is commodifying his own life to a degree that feels, like, very appropriate
1: for a Princeton student. Yeah, Yeah, it's very Princeton. What was your 500-word common app essay on?
0: Mine was about making pierogi with my grandmother as a young Slavic woman, and it was about how My grandmother did not raise my dad and my dad kind of partially raised me because my parents were divorced, but the three of us and despite having like not like not the closest like legitimate familial bonds like kind of came together over making pierogi.
1: Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) What do you like to do with pierogi? Do you like dip them in anything or do you like eat them pure? Root? Oh,
0: God. Um, I haven't been able to eat pierogi since I went to Krakow and lived with this woman named Anna who made me pierogi in a, like a big bowl of heavy cream, hot heavy cream every night, which was disgusting. And I didn't want to offend her. So I just had to eat the entire thing every night.
1: See, this is my worry for our friend Scott is I don't know if the topic he could, like, like that was so, I, I loved hearing you talk about that. It was sweet it was your family.
0: What was your, um, what was your common
1: up essay about? All right. It was like, uh, it was about, uh, the one thing was, um, my, my essay was about being a counselor to eight-year-olds at camp. And I, my first draft of it started with a sentence, I never thought I'd be able to take care of kids. And then, uh, like, school guidance counselor who read over, it was like, Nate, this essay, like, sounds like you got a girl pregnant. Um, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> so you're like, oh,
0: maybe I don't see a lot of young dads on campus so that might be sort of a new angle like it would not be hot if you were sort of like a dirtbag dad that was like trying to like pick up women with it but it would be hot in the sense of like people would see you and be like ah like he's got it together like stability
1: good dad like manage yeah
0: yeah exactly would you recommend this okay what not would you recommend this book what kind of person would you recommend this book to?
1: Who? Okay, okay. Um, I would recommend this book to, like, I recommend this book to um, average frustrated parents who, like, want something to rail against. Hmm. (laughs) just like you know a a nice object of ire which you know with all the debauchery I think Newman would agree with me that that's a response he wants what about you
0: that's so interesting because I was going to say parents too but I was thinking about how sometimes my own parents don't understand when I talk about Princeton students being too intense they don't really understand it and I think that this level of intensity is a very good way to tell parents, like to show parents that like in all approaches, sometimes Princeton kids can be a lot. And 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 just the idea that like someone who goes into Princeton in their, you know, freshman year wanting to be Woody Woo major, it's kind of similar to this where they think they have it all figured out. And I was kind of going into college with this mindset of like, I don't have it figured out. I would also like to know people who don't have it figured out. And it was kind of like very frustrating to be in an atmosphere of people who did have it all figured out, which the deeper you go in Princeton, the more you realize that's not really the case, but kind of on the surface, it seems like that. So I think that maybe parents who are parents to people who feel like average at Princeton or who don't feel super motivated or who don't feel very, you know, particularly drawn in one direction might under, might read this and like kind of understand.
1: Sure. Yeah, it's, just like the way Villa does like sort of like shed a light on like for instance like attitudes. Uh, I was like Ooh, where do you get the right, friend? Like why why you to write a hundred page book that you ask people to read? And I turn the lens on myself and it's like why should people write like my like uh, one like like off 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 Broadway like <laughs> uh, sketch comedy. <laughs> like why do I get the right?
0: And I mean, we are sort of doing this right. I was like, "Oh, I really want to record a podcast about this," which is like a silly, you know, thing that someone would ever, you know, spend two hours listening to, you know, us talk or whatever. How long this ends up being is like seems so ridiculous and self-aggrandizing to me. And then I realized that I literally listen to like five podcasts a week where I listen to someone talk, like. You know, there's is that kind of first step of just being like, oh, I might have some stuff to say. Some people might resonate with this, you know. Yeah. And to people that that comes naturally to, feels so unfair to someone who's like more self conscious about it.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, yeah, you're right. That's like a good way to like assuage that. It's like there's no like problem with doing that. And you know, this podcast would be especially valuable to like any person who like has a crush on both of us.
0: Right. Know. Anyone who <laughs> anyone who has a crush on both of us um, before you read, what does that mean where it's like before the world ends, does anyone would admit they have a crush on me? Um, you know, right after we drop this podcast, does anyone want to admit they have a crush <laughs> on us?
1: I, it was, um, I am very glad Scott Newman wrote this book. Uh, mm-hmm. Along with giving me the opportunity to connect and talk about it with many friends, including this wonderful conversation with you, uh, it it did really hit me in the nostalgia bone. College, mm. Scott, somewhere out there, he is a casual acquaintance of mine. I can't remember <laughs> the last time I talked to a casual acquaintance.
0: <laughs> right in our in our bunkers, yeah. God, so and I think that's the other thing of like, oh yeah, okay, you just have to like make the art so that like you can interact with the people you know um i'm sure you know busty russian women left and right are sliding into his dms after reading this yeah. um all right anything else should we uh, sign off
1: yeah yeah do you have anything to plug
0: i don't have anything to plug but um i you know i think this is a one-off but um i'll be looking forward to seeing if anything develops in the Scott Newman's story. Maybe we'll be getting a, a a second volume soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Uh, I I also don't have anything to plug. I I will say, what was that? Um, uh, if you want a good like um, Christmas like comedy to so, like booze and watch with the friends, um, the night before with the aforementioned Joseph Gordon Levitt is pretty under. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, and I just want to tell you before we both sign off, um, never change rock star. You're awesome.
1: All right, I'm on I'm on the next flight.
0: <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.